There we go, DJ Matthews, wide receiver for the Indiana Hoopers, getting that awesome special teams touchdown against Idaho this past week. Welcome into this week in Indiana football, episode number six, brought to you by Indiana Sports Week with Jim Coyle every Monday through Friday, 9 to 11 on YouTube, also in the afternoons on WREF, WBRO, and also joining me as usual, Dustin Schutte from Saturday Tradition. And then later on, here in a few minutes, we'll have former Indiana Hoosier wide receiver Mitchell Page joining us. So how you doing, Dustin? I'm doing great. I'm still kind of recovering from a weekend of 14 games that stretched over a 13-hour period. Uh, started at 11 a.m., and then I think it ended somewhere around 11.30 with, uh, you know, starting with with Virginia, Illinois, and then ending with Michigan, uh, Michigan, Washington. So it was fun. It was busy. Still trying to catch up on some sleep, but uh, I mean, we're we're now in the thick of it. We're in the start of the the full swing of of college football season. Yeah, and Indiana got a big one this week coming up with number eight Cincinnati after getting their bounce back win against Idaho, fifty six to fourteen. You and I kind of had a little bit of a back and forth yesterday, texting back and forth. Yeah, we did. After I looked at your power rankings and I had some things to say and you, you try to get under my skin, but we're not going to get into that specifically. But I think there's a lot of conflicting opinions about how good Indiana still could be or is. Because obviously you're playing an FCS opponent in Idaho and you're expected to destroy teams like that. And the score can be misleading if you didn't get if you didn't watch the entire thing. A lot of the touchdowns that Indiana got weren't necessarily offensive drives. You had a couple special teams touchdowns. You had some uh, some good drives set up by by turnovers or poor offense by Idaho, and so it was it was a very uh, interesting thing for Indiana. Um, also, before I get more into that, I was telling Dustin before the show, I need to start off by apologizing to Indiana fans because last week and even on Indiana Sports Beat before I believe, uh, and, and in previous podcasts, I have talked about how fragile the Indiana fan base is. And how I didn't expect them to to come out and uh, and and fill up Memorial Stadium against an FCS opponent after losing to Iowa, and man, they proved me wrong big time. Uh, they this stat that I saw on Twitter, I think it was this morning or yesterday, but they sold. I'm sorry, I don't even know if it's about selling tickets, but there were more people in attendance against Idaho than there was in 2019 against Ohio State. It's only it's only a nine fan difference. But when you consider the fact that most, not most, that a lot of those fans at the Indiana-Ohio State game were probably Buckeye fans, that's really impressive on the Indiana side of things. Yeah, I mean, I think it shows that uh, a couple things. Number one is that there's a belief in the football program. Uh, number two, it's that for so for a full year, you weren't able to get out to the game and enjoy the yeah. atmosphere. I mean... It, Sometimes it doesn't even matter what the opponent is or who the opponent is, I should say. Just getting that experience, an opportunity to experience college football or an athletic event, tailgating, you know, being in the stadium, that, you know, that all kind of adds up. And, and not being able to do that for, for a full year, I think, was a, was a big factor. Uh, and again, but people aren't going to buy tickets and not going to spend their, their, you know, extra cash on, on tickets if the team yeah. isn't good or if they don't believe in the product. So it, you know, it's, it's a sign that, that Indiana fans are believing and also it's great to be back in these live venues and these live atmospheres. 
And those and that this team, particularly last year's team, deserved to have a crowd like that, no matter who the opponent was, because they didn't get to enjoy that during the successful run that they had last year. So kudos to the Indiana fans for showing out. Obviously, this weekend's game against Cincinnati is sold out. I expect that to be, I mean, nothing short of what it was this past weekend and much more. Uh, hopefully, there's not too many Cincinnati fans in that crowd. But uh, I highly expect, as long as the game is what it's being built up to be, we obviously know what happened in the Iowa game. But if it's built up what it's being told it is, I mean, this, this, this crowd's in for a real treat against Cincinnati on Saturday. Yeah, you hope so. You don't want it to be a, a replication or a duplication of what we saw in Iowa City, uh, because this is a this is a big time game in front of a lot of fans. Uh, it's a, you know sellout as you mentioned. It's it's it it has everything you want. And guess what? If Indiana gets out of that game with a win, they're right back in the top twenty five. You're sitting at two and one. And I think when you look at that schedule in in the grand scheme of things, we talked about the disappointment we had after week one. But in the grand scheme of things, you get through those three games with a two and one record. That means you've beaten a pretty good team and you would have had to have beaten a pretty good Cincinnati team to get there. So I think that that that's a big reason why this game is so huge. You know, you, you do have to make up some ground if you want to be in the Big Ten race. But, you know, let's face it. Ohio State lost to Oregon last weekend. They didn't look I they didn't look fantastic like they had in the past. Penn State has some some holes offensively. They look a little bit better. Michigan State, Michigan, there's the, the verdict's still kind of out on those two teams. So, you know, we don't really know what to expect. So as poor as Indiana played in that week one game against Iowa, there's a chance to really kind of make a statement here, get that momentum back, and then really start gearing up for the rest of the, the Big Ten season uh, here in a couple weeks after you go down to uh, – down to where, where is it called? Is it Bowling Green? Where they have Bowling Green, Kentucky. Yeah. So there you go. Bef yeah. So you got one more trip then before you hit the meat of the Big Ten schedule. Well, one thing you mentioned to me when we were talking about uh, the aftermath of the Indian Idaho game is the the fact that Indiana only put up 338 yards against an Idaho mm -hmm. team. And I, I don't know if you were messing with me or just trying to get under my skin. But I feel like even though that's not an impressive number, Indiana did a really good job at something that we have been talking about since the preseason, and that is establishing the run game. They took up over eight minutes on the opening drive to Idaho. And again, it's Idaho. Nick Sheridan said in the press conference today that he was trying to use that drive to get Penix established, get him comfortable. And by also doing that, you were able to get your run game going. And Stephen Carr was able to get over 100 yards rushing, uh, which should be expected against a team like Idaho. And also, Indiana was able to control the tempo pretty much the entire game. Tom Allen likes to play conservative in these non-conference games that you're supposed to win by a lot for some reason. And so I think that goes into a lot of why you see the offensive numbers so low. I know Michael Penix wasn't amazing. He was only 11 for 16. And I think Jack Tuttle, when he came in, he ended up having a higher QB rating than uh, Michael Penix did, even though he only threw four balls, one of those being a long touchdown pass to A.J. Barner, which is really impressive. So there's obviously work to be done in the quarterback room with Michael Penix. Uh, I think they're saving him a little bit in terms of his legs. They've been kind of alluding to the past couple of days that he's ready to unleash his full strength and mobility like he was last year. And I think they would have done it against Iowa had he not had such a rough start. But I think – Michael Penix is going to look a little bit different against Cincinnati. I don't, I'm not saying he's going to be the explosive guy that we saw in Ohio State against Ohio State last year, 
but I think this is Michael Penix's perfect opportunity to get back into rhythm, into the rhythm that he's been looking for this season. Yeah, well, the Indiana, the, the statistics can be misleading at times. When you look at the total offense, it's not great. But at the same time, you got to remember, um, I was messing with you. I was trying to make you angry. And you have a very, I don't mean to cut you off, you have a very hilarious Twitter account. And I think you do a good job at getting under people's skin. And so I kind of felt like that's what was going on. That, and so yeah. I didn't take it to heart. Yeah, that, that is what's going on. If I if I sense if, if I if I sense a little blood in the water, I'm going to go after it. Right. The thing you have to remember about the the statistics and the way Indiana played that game is they dealt with a short field an awful lot. They were getting blocked punts. They were playing well on special teams. They got the ball in good field position. So in a lot of those circumstances, if you get the ball at the twenty yard line, you only have twenty yards to go to get to the end zone. Right. You don't have to worry about putting together a seventy five yard drive. To me, though, there is one thing that I did text you that I do think is an issue, and that's the 3.6-yard rushing average. Okay. That's not good uh, against an Idaho team. And I understand that you're trying to establish the run. You're trying to um, maybe get get the game to a, a better tempo, get your players you know, uh, settled down or, or settled into their roles. But to me, and I'd like to ask Mitchell Page when he's on here if that's concerning to him because I, in a game like that, to me – Ultimately, it, it doesn't matter because you won by so many points and you kind of mm. dominated the game. But at the same time, and I'll have to go back and watch, 3.6 yards is not good against an FCS-level team. Especially a- when you consider the, the offensive line issues that we've already talked about a lot. Yes. And the biggest example where that looked like a flaw this past game was mm-hmm. toward the end of the second quarter when the, the line gave up two sacks to Idaho and they were backed up on their own 10 or something, I believe. Uh, and I, that was the only time where they really gave up some bad plays, but that was against Idaho. When you're playing against – sorry, I've got a text from Mitchell. Saying try, so Mitchell Page will be joining us here in a second. When you're trying to um, – man, I lost my train of thought. Talking oh, we're about, talking about the run game. Oh. Yeah, Talking about the run game and, and how it's – what we've talked about is the offensive line. That's been the biggest question. Yeah. Indiana has struggled to establish the run game. Their offensive line has gotten better, but it's not great. And and they don't have the same kind of depth that you really need to have in order to have a strong running attack. And to, that's what I said. The offensive numbers, like the, the total statistics almost don't matter to me because you're, you, there's so many different factors there. Uh, and so, but, but like I said, when you look at that rushing average, you were all, what? What did they finish with on the ground? 179 yards, and then, like I said, uh, they 3.6 rushing yards. You can live with that kind of average if you're playing Iowa or was. I mean, that might be great against an Iowa or Wisconsin, but against an Idaho, I'd like to see that number at 4.5 or higher. Yeah, maybe I'm going to shoot over to uh, Mitchell Page via text. So we're going to do this. Obviously, we can't stop the podcast. So. <laughs> Mitchell Page will be joining us shortly. And one thing I was going to say about the offensive line, you can get away with having a suspect offensive line and giving up a few plays like that against Idaho. But when you've got Cincinnati coming in, who's going to have a high-powered offense with Desmond Ritter, you don't want to give them the ball back. And you're going to be able to create your own offense against a team like that. Right. And I think that just, it just kind of compounds what we've been talking about. And, and, 
the other factor there is if you're not good in the in run blocking, usually you're not very good at pass blocking either in pass protection. Now, in the past, the way Kalen DeBoer ran the offense and the way Nick Sheridan ran the offense has been to get the ball out of Penix's hands pretty quickly. Uh, they don't really have a Watt Fillier kind of player this year, so it kind of limits their ability. I mean, we saw it in the Iowa game. He was trying to throw passes downfield an awful lot, pick up chunks of yardage at a time. And against a Cincinnati team that's really good on both sides of the ball, I just don't think you're going to be able to do that. So do you have the offensive line that can keep Penix clean uh, throughout the entirety of the game? What's the offensive scheme going to look like? Is it going to be dialed back from what we saw at Iowa? I, I just don't know. Like to me, we, we could talk about this show every week about Indiana's run game. I'm, I'm not sure we're going to have a positive answer or a positive thing to really say about it other than Stephen Carr rushed for 100 yards. Obviously, we'll see what happens. But to me, that's that's the greatest concern right now. It's the offensive line because if, if, if Penix is under pressure a lot, it's going to be a long day for the Hoosiers again on Saturday. And I think that's part of why there's, they're kind of seeming like they're going to unleash Penix in his running ability again. Because if they, if they see very clearly that this, that this offensive line isn't ready to do what they thought they were going to be able to do this year, you have to utilize Penix's mobility. And obviously that makes him vulnerable to having another season-ending injury. But when you have to make the decision between that and maybe losing a couple more games – I'm sure the coaching staff is going to lean more towards putting themselves a chance to win. I I don't know. I mean, you have to know your personnel. I, I don't know. I feel like Indiana's offensive line is good enough to run. Like if you just, I feel like it, it, the talent is there. I, I Maybe I'm missing something. I don't understand why they're not able to run the ball. They have a good running back uh, in Stephen Carr. Like I said, they don't have maybe the depth, but I, I feel like they have the experience. I feel like they have the bodies up front to move some guys around and at least be productive. And, yes, they were productive last week, but not to the extent that you need to be to show me that you're able to do that against. Like I said, you're going to play some really good defenses. They might act, the, the team they might have the easiest time running on is Ohio State because Ohio State hadn't been able to stop the run in their first two games. But when you look at Penn State, when you look at Michigan State, when you look at Michigan, those teams have done a pretty good job at stopping the run. Uh, and so that's why I keep saying that they have to figure something else out on the offensive line. If they're not going to be able to run the ball, I don't want to look too far ahead because we're going to focus on Cincinnati. But I, I just to me, it's, it's, it's a glaring issue. And I thought I thought for sure it would be improved to enough where it would be a threat. And I, I just don't see it. So Mitchell Page is telling me he's having some connection issues. Um, so we're, we're doing our best to get him on for you. I'm not sure that he will be able to join us. He said he doesn't have the best service right now. Uh, we're trying to get him on some Wi-Fi or help him figure out what to do. Unfortunately, he can't call in because the way our setup is, only I would be able to hear him. Uh, and so <laughs> Dustin wouldn't be able to go back and forth with him. So that's you just transcribe un- what he says. Come on. <laughs> Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll keep trying. We're texting back and forth and I, obviously I want this podcast to still be well. I'm trying to do whatever I can to, uh, pay attention, make good points and get Mitchell page on here. Um, so if he doesn't come on this week, we may try another time. Um, obviously we can't help connection issues, but back to Indiana, Cincinnati, 
One thing I found pretty intriguing, I think Indiana fans can be excited about. Cincinnati did not look very good for about two and a half quarters against an FCS opponent, Murray State, this past weekend. They gave up the first touchdown of the game. They were tied 7-7 to at halftime. And Cincinnati didn't get their first lead of the game until five minutes into the third quarter. And then you look at their overall stats in that game, and they're almost identical to Indiana-Idaho. Indiana had 338 total yards. Cincinnati had a little more at 391. They gave up 242 to, to Murray State. Indiana gave up 261. And when you consider the opponent, I would think that Idaho would have the better offense. And so knowing that you would be able to, you've been able to kind of keep uh, the defensive things on the same level uh, as, as Cincinnati when you think that you were playing the better opponent. Obviously, we're both FCS teams, so you can only take so much from that. But I think this Indiana-Cincinnati game is going to be, I don't want to say a lot closer than people think, because I don't think people are necessarily thinking that it's going to be a blowout unless you're part of the, the national pundits who have already given up on Indiana after that blowout loss to Iowa. And by the way, I think a lot of people have started to let loose or, or let up a little bit on that that game specifically because of what Iowa did to Iowa State. And I think it could be possible that Iowa is the best team in the Big Ten this year. Obviously, that you're only two games in, and Iowa's gotten to play two marquee opponents in week one uh, and, and come out on top in both of those. And so that, that does a lot for them, obviously. They're number five in the AP rankings right now. And so it doesn't look that bad. Obviously, you got destroyed by Iowa, and you don't want that to ever happen. But I think Indiana can can kind of rest on that a little bit. They've already obviously put it away. They're not worried about that game anymore. But I don't think people need to be as panicked as they were uh, after that week one game. Well, I would. I don't. I wouldn't say panicked, but I mean, I don't. Do you? I, I don't feel nearly as comfortable in, in in as many of these games as I once did about Indiana's chances. Uh, and you mentioned the statistics uh, against when they played Murray State, when Cincinnati played Murray State. Uh, go back and look at what they did to Miami of Ohio and then look at the challenge Miami of Ohio put up against Minnesota. Uh, now, obviously, that's a Minnesota team that's without Mo Ibrahim, so that, that's a different sort of situation. But Cincinnati won that game 49-14, to and Miami of Ohio gave Minnesota all it could handle. So – we don't really – we're in week two, right? We don't really know much about these teams. We don't know much about Miami of Ohio. We don't know much about Cincinnati. We don't know much about Indiana. So it's hard to judge based on past performances. But what I can say is just strictly looking – because I haven't watched a lot of Cincinnati football in the last year or two. I mean, that's just it's out of my realm. Most of my coverage comes in the Big Ten, so I just don't see them play a whole lot. But like I said, my, my concern is if the offense you're trying to run looks like it did against Iowa, that's going to be a problem because you can't depend on picking up 20 yards at a time. Your offensive line is not good enough to keep Cincinnati's defensive line at bay long enough for, for a play to develop, for a wide receiver to get open and have get allow Pennix the time he needs to throw the ball. And it's compounded by the fact that if you can't run the ball, that's where this kind of gets into a disaster situation. So I want to see something different offensively. I want to see them try to go through an intermediate passing game, try to do something else, be create more creative with the run. Um, you know, so, 
so because I, I just there's a lot of concerns I have. I'm not writing Indiana off. I still think they have potential, but I've seen some glaring issues through the first two games that I didn't suspect we'd be talking about. I thought we would be talking about, at the very worst, a one in one Indiana team that you felt very good about. You know, maybe yeah. a Bulls loss to Iowa. Uh, right now, I think it's kind. I, I'm not saying you don't feel good about Indiana. I'm just saying nobody is as nearly as confident as they were in this Hoosiers team as they were a couple weeks ago. So you got, you, at some point you have to prove it. Right. And and we'll find out on Saturday, but it, it's kind of, for me, a little bit of wait and see because it was such a stark difference between what we saw in week one and what we saw in week two. And a lot of that has to do with you went from playing probably the best team in the big 10 right now to a lowly FCS team. So you really don't know what you're going to get this weekend. Now, the good news, though, is that they were able to use this game. We talked about before how you don't have preseason games in college football. You can only play against each other. This is the game that ideally you could start out with to work out all of your kinks. They had to go in, guns a-blazing in Kinnick Stadium against a team that they really weren't prepared for. And I think they did a good job at doing things against Idaho that they weren't able to do against Iowa. And obviously, if you're supposed to be an elite team, you should have been able to do that things against Iowa. But I don't know that Indiana is at that elite status yet. But no. because even though you're not elite or you may not be elite, it doesn't mean you can't still knock off nine, maybe even ten wins in a season. Obviously, the, the jury's still out on all that. And it starts this week against Cincinnati if you want to even be back in that conversation. But they used this game. I think even though Indiana wasn't perfect, they did almost everything they needed to do to get back in the good the good faith of the fans. And I really think that we're going to get a uh, – they're going to put on a good show against Cincinnati this weekend. I think they're back in the good graces of their own mindset. I That's, mean, we talked especially, about – Actually – well, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say we, we talked about last week. It was important for them to get off to a hot start, to not let Iowa – we didn't think – nobody in their right mind thought Idaho was going to beat Indiana. That, like, So we can ignore that. But – you didn't want Iowa to, you know, that old saying, you don't you don't let Iowa beat you twice, and basically saying don't have a poor performance because you played bad last week. I was legitimately concerned about that because with all the hype surrounding this team, with all the excitement, with all the energy, I wondered if a blowout loss like they suffered against Iowa would kind of hinder that team going into this game. And, and maybe you saw something where it was like a 14-7 to or a 21-7 to halftime score. Indiana came out guns blazing. I mean, they were really good in all three phases from the opening kickoff. Tom Allen brought a ton of energy out of the out of the out of the lock, the tunnel, the locker room, the glass doors, whatever the hell is in that end zone that they run out of. Uh, so that's always a positive sign. And you saw the energy from the players. So I think what you saw on Saturday put the scheme, put the put the concerns aside. I think from a mental mental standpoint that's what you needed to see from Indiana. And I think that there's a confidence now heading into that game that we thought could have been erased because of what happened in Iowa city a few weeks ago. And I, I think that's a positive sign. You know, something I find interesting, I've thought about before the fact, so the obviously college game day went to Iowa, Iowa state last week. Do you get the, and I don't know who they've chosen for this week, but I get the feeling that they had in mind they were either going to do Iowa-Iowa State or they were going to do Indiana-Cincinnati, depending on how that Iowa game panned out. Because if Indiana would have come out on top on Iowa, 
you get that win against Idaho, you have potentially a top 10 matchup. And obviously this is all just speculation. Uh, but you would have had a potentially top 10 matchup with Indiana Cincinnati. And so that would have been interesting to think about. It's just something I thought of. Yeah, well, th- that's definitely a possibility. I don't know what channel that game is on. Uh, They're on so Indiana Cincinnati is noon on ESPN this week. So, I, can't, yeah. I can't think of who they chose for for game day. It's it's uh, they're going to Penn State for Penn State Auburn. They're going to be in Happy okay. Valley because it's a whiteout game. So it may not have made a difference, That's but true. if and I don't know, they probably weren't going to be in in Bloomington for a noon kickoff. That would be my yeah. guess. But they also uh, I don't think they announced the time. That's actually not true. They I mean, they can always change the times, but. Mm-hmm. Sometimes well, it's typically, college game days in town, they switch the times around, stuff like some, that. Sometimes they do, but it's a little trickier at this point in the season because you have so many games that you're airing because you have those FCS G5 opponents. Yeah. Later in the season, it's easier because usually the games are minimized because you have all conference games, the MAC and the Sun Belt. Those guys play on Wednesday and Thursday and Friday night, so there's more separation. Um, it's not to say it's impossible or you bring up a bad point. I, I just – you never know. I mean, it's a moot point now, so. Yeah. Um, still talking to Mitchell Page. He's saying that whenever it loads in, the page just stops halfway through. So that's disappointing. He may end up being able to jump in randomly some here while we're still on here. But uh, I was kind of trying to set aside some of our time to talk with Mitchell Page about his thoughts on this team this year, where his head's at. Obviously, he comes on on Jim's show on Indiana Sports Beat every so often. And so you can get his thoughts there. Uh, and Mitchell Page is a very optimistic guy. He's a homegrown Hoosier, and he's he's just somebody that the fans really rallied, rallied behind while he was at Indiana, uh, and, and they still love to this day. He kind of reminds me of a Jordan Holes. I don't think he grew up in Bloomington like Jordan Holes did, but he ha- he gives off that same vibe and, and persona as Jordan Holes. So we may, we may be able to connect with him here sometime while we're still recording. If not, we will do our best to get him booked for another uh, another podcast, but – I guess let's go ahead and move along. Uh, we had a very interesting week in the Big Ten outside of uh, Indiana-Idaho, uh, and obviously the the big one being Ohio State going down to Oregon. And I didn't catch the game, uh, too much of it. I was helping some people move on Saturday. But, man, Ohio State's defense, and, and obviously it's just one game, they don't look any improved, any, any more improved from last year at all against somebody like Oregon. And I know they have a very high-powered West Coast-style offense, but C.J. Verdell was literally having his way with Ohio State almost the entire game. Yeah, I mean, you kind of just scratched your head because you didn't think Ohio State's defense was going to be as bad as it was. Now, we kind of wrote their performance against Minnesota off as credit to a good Minnesota offense. And that's, that's true because they had for most of that game, Muhammad Ibrahim, they still have a really good offensive line. Tanner Morgan's still the quarterback. They have some weapons at wide receiver. So you can kind of understand that, but to see it happen two weeks in a row and to really see the defense, the defense played well at the end of that game, but for the first three and a half quarters, they did not look good in any regard. And, we suspected to see a drop-off, or at least I did, because you're replacing all of your starting linebackers from a year ago. Your secondary was not great a season ago, so how 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 much was it going to improve this offseason? I think there are some real questions that Ohio State's going to have to answer defensively because this team looks really beatable. Um, and, and 
look, it's still Ohio State. They still have more talent than anybody in the Big Ten. There's still a great chance that they finish 11-1, and win the Big Ten title, and then wind up in the college football playoff. It happened in 2014 after they lost a week two game to Virginia Tech. It could very well happen again here. But of the teams we've, of the Ohio State teams we've seen, this is one of the more beatable teams, along with that 2000, um, probably that 2017 team that lost to Oklahoma and Iowa. So it was a surprising result. Oh, I hope we didn't lose Dustin just now. Looks like he's kind of having some lagging issues. I don't think we've lost Dustin, but I do believe he he's having some connection problems. I'm sure he'll be uh, able to recover here in a second. But uh, outside of that uh, Ohio State game, one thing that's interesting to think about for this upcoming week is uh, this Purdue-Notre Dame game. Notre Dame through two games has not looked like the way that that people normally expect Notre Dame to. I guess some people sometimes think Notre Dame is always overhyped and that they shouldn't be able to find their way into the college football playoff every year. But they looked very shaky against a Florida State team that was uh, less than less than good this past week against um, Jacksonville State. They gave up that last-second touchdown uh, to them, uh, and Jacksonville State being an FCS opponent. And so – it makes, and then on top of that, Notre Dame doesn't look good against a MAC team, Toledo. And so, in that, you got Purdue coming off of two wins, one against Oregon State from the Pac 12. And then you have uh, their 49 0 shutout against UConn, uh, who isn't an FCS school, but they are so far removed from reality, it seems like. They didn't have a season last year. Uh, they just got rid of Randy Edsall in the middle of the season, who who isn't a very good head coach for one. Uh, and UConn is just in shambles. They're not in a conference. They got left behind whenever all of the conference realignment stuff happened five five or so years ago, and they've been independent ever since. So it's almost like they're that UConn is on the cusp of being an FCS team. And so uh, with that, Purdue coming out on top forty nine zero. It may have made Purdue look a lot better than they actually were, but Purdue is is definitely has a shot in this Notre Dame game. Uh, see, I've got a text here from from Mitchell Page as we're trying to get Dustin reconnected as well. Uh, Mitchell's so Mitchell's saying so about maybe being able to come on later tonight. Uh, we'll we'll deal with that, and we may uh, we may end up posting this a little later than normal, depending on if we're able to do something like that. But uh, let's uh, let's reach out to Dustin and see if he's able to get back on. Um, oh, here we go. There we go, Dustin. He's back. There we go. Man, I, I got to do my very first mo- monologue. I guess you can you can say I was. <laughs> yes, you, you were talking. You were wrapping up that Ohio State um, Oregon talk. I just kind of we transition a little bit into the upcoming Notre Dame Purdue game. Oh, which yeah. is uh, something that obviously we, I was planning on talking about as we went through pickums, but I was as I was saying a second ago, it's a really interesting matchup in the fact that before this season you would think Notre Dame is going to come in and blow out Purdue just because yes, yes. of what they're supposed to have, but Notre Dame through two games against one a Florida State team that lost to Jacksonville State and FCS squad on a last second touchdown, followed by a Toledo team. That um, I don't know what the score was, but they didn't play very well against Toledo. And you got Purdue coming off two pretty convincing wins, 
one against uh, Oregon State in the Pac-12, one against UConn. And I was saying also whenever you were disconnected, what is UConn? UConn is terrible. The old Big East. They got left behind in all of the conference realignment shuffle, and they didn't play football last year. Just yep. to, to to put on to, to put a cherry on top of, of that cake or whatever you want to call it, and then you have Randy Edsall getting or retiring in the middle of the season when, I mean, their, their program is just a mess. And I was sitting there trying, and I think you may have even made a tweet about this earlier this week. They're FBS independent technically, but I think there are several FCS teams that could beat them, and they should probably be down in the FCS level based on their talent. I I don't know if they would make an FCS playoff. Like I, they just got beat by Holy Cross by ten points. They haven't scored a touchdown against an FC, FBS team yet. They got beat forty five to zero by Fresno State. They got beat forty nine to zero by Purdue. I, they may not score a point against an FBS team. I don't know what their schedule looks like, but they they're not even close. They're terrible. I mean, I don't know if I've seen a worse team in college football. I'm curious if, like, how many scholarship players they have or how many players. I guess what I'm really saying is because I think you have the certain amount of scholarships you can give out, but how many of these guys should be playing on scholarship is the real question. Well, here's the thing, though. This is really unfair to those kids because, and I'm going to say why, because you canceled your season last year, okay? You did what you did. I, I mean, I'm not an expert. I don't know what happened or what went into that decision. But you're going to expect them to be up on the same level as some of these other programs that played an entire season? Like, I I doubt UConn, if they didn't play games, I doubt they were practicing. And they're yeah. not good enough to just practice against themselves. I'm sure that when the season was canceled, some te- some players left. I'm not a UConn football uh, savant, but I'm guessing <laughs> that there was a really, uh, Eddie Jordan, who was on college game day, might be a, you might think he's a UConn savant, oh, considering God, yeah. he picked him to beat Fresno State. Yeah, that was asinine. Uh, but he's a coach, not a picker. So yeah. I, I just – I don't know. We didn't learn anything about Purdue in that game. I mean, realistically, you did. It was basically like playing a high school team. I mean, it, they yeah. were worse than Idaho. Um, so I don't know what we learned. But what I do know is Purdue's defense does look better. Uh, than it did under the previous two, three seasons under Nick Holt and then Bob Diaco. Um, the running game is still a former UConn head coach, Bob yeah, Diaco. Bob, yeah, Bobby Disco. Uh, <laughs> the uh, former uh, – <clears throat> the run game is not good for Purdue. Uh, still questions. And then you have Xander Horvath yeah, who got – Yeah, Xander Horvath just got yeah. announced today he's out. He's out for basically, what, a month and a half, two months, somewhere in that neighborhood, four to eight weeks or six to eight weeks, something like that. Um, And then the passing game looks good, but I suspect that's going to be a close game. Notre Dame won their first two games against Florida State and Jacksonville. uh, No, uh, sorry, Florida State and Toledo by three points in each of those games. I think Notre Dame wins, but I think Purdue puts the fear of God in Notre Dame again. So one thing I was talking about during the uh, – other than that, during your reconnection, Mitchell Page was saying that uh, he may be able to – he didn't realize that he was going to need Wi-Fi is what he was telling me. He thought this was going to be like a phone interview type deal. Oh. Um, and so what he was saying is 
he could rejoin us later tonight when he does have Wi-Fi and if we can edit the the uh, interview in. Or what we might do, we'll, we'll, we'll do this podcast as is. And Dustin, if you can join me, you don't have to, obviously. Uh, and this is something that maybe we should just save for talking about after the show. But uh, I may cut a, a short interview with Mitchell Page separate from this podcast just to have. I may, I may post this something separate. Um, it's just what you got to do when you're in circumstances like this. Um, this is so peeking behind the curtain. This is, this is, yeah, this is peeking behind the curtain. This is giving fans what they want. They want to know the behind the scenes, what goes into this podcast. And you just gave it to them. So I'm going to shoot him that text right now. And uh, we'll, I'll, I'll try to let you all know by the end of the show, if we'll uh, have a separate episode coming out tomorrow or something like that. So I'm going to send this text. <laughs> Love dead air. That's the one it's thing. Like, uh, it, who was the uh, who was the uh, the the baseball announcer who was like, I can't remember. Like, oh, I got a fax. Going to read this fax here now. <laughs> well, here's the thing. Really famous. I'm gonna, like, a bad thing because I, I work for a guy, a play-by-play guy uh, here in Louisville uh, for for Louisville Bats baseball team and. Sometimes he'll come back from break and he'll just he'll just let it sit. There's not like music that plays over the return liners, but he'll let it sit for about five to ten seconds. And sometimes I'm I'm almost in his ear on the talkback, like, "Hey, uh, we're back." And I've done it once, but after that first time, I, I initially realized I was like, "This guy just lets it ride," and he and he goes when he's comfortable going. I uh, say so that's how you know you're dealing with a professional in this kind of business when they're ready to go whenever they're ready to go. But so. Uh, I guess we'll we'll go ahead and move into uh, to pickums for now. Uh, so week three pickums little update. Dustin currently has a two game lead on me. He's twenty and five. I'm eighteen and seven. The difference being two games with Nebraska. One being that uh, Nebraska Illinois game. I took Nebraska, and then last week I chose Buffalo to upset Nebraska, which going into it didn't seem too unlikely based on what they had last year. But Dustin. Uh, making the point that Lance Leopold isn't the head coach there anymore. And evidently that made some sort of a difference because Nebraska came out on top in that game, 28 to three. So with that, we have a very interesting slate of games this week, Dustin. Um, A lot of non-conference games. The only conference game being the first one we're going to talk about Maryland at Illinois on Friday at 9 PM Eastern, 9 PM Eastern. You mean to tell me, that people are actually going to stay up that don't live in Champaign or college, not, not college station, college park or the DC area. Who's, who's going to stay up Friday night and watch Maryland at Illinois. Cause I don't think I'm a part of that group. I will be doing that. <laughs> well, that makes a, you cover every big 10 team. So you, you're, <laughs> so that would be one. you have to be a part of that, but I would like to go around and smack the person who schedules that game. Okay. I'm not a huge fan of Friday night games in the first place, but let's put that aside, okay? I understand why the Big Ten does it and has to do it. It helps with TV ratings. It helps with these contracts. I get it. It's not every Friday, so I won't piss and moan too much about it. But 9 o'clock is a ridiculous kickoff time for a Friday night game. Especially something that's not really – like you wouldn't think – if it was played on a Saturday, it would not be a primetime matchup. No. 
No, no, this game this game might be scheduled at like Virginia, Illinois was scheduled at eleven AM. This might be an eleven AM kickoff if you played it on a Saturday. Like I again, I understand why you're doing it because if this game is buried at noon on ESPN or even Big Ten Network, it's not going to draw a lot of attention. This no. is a way to get it at least – you know, there's going to be people that are like, you know what, I'm not going out on this Friday night. I went out last Friday. I'm going to stay in. I'm going to watch the game. People do that. I just – my biggest issue is with the time. And now that I'm off my soapbox, we can get into the pick em <laughs> part of it if you like because I will – I might go on a tirade about that kickoff time because it drives me nuts. Well, one interesting thing to take note of, Brett Bielema did announce today that Brandon Peters will be back as starting quarterback for uh, for the Illini uh, at home against Maryland. I don't know if that's enough to sway me, though, because we didn't get to see enough of Brandon Peters against Nebraska before he went down. And Maryland, I feel like Maryland is doing to me what they did a couple of years ago. They looked, they've looked, they're looking really good early on. They just shut out Howard 62 to zero. And I believe in the year where everybody was jumping on the Maryland hype train, they also had a very similar outcome against Howard, like 70 to seven. Yeah, they won 79 to zero. 79 to zero. Okay. A little bit off, but my goodness. You were, you were in the ballpark. Yeah. So they won 79 to zero to or 2019. And then they won one well, more game. To me. And it's, it, it at the same time, though, I'm going with the Terrapins in this one. Yeah, I. to me, if Illinois was at full strength, I think I would pick Illinois uh, because I think there's a little bit of fool's gold there with Maryland. But because of the injuries, because of the way Illinois played the last two weeks, I think I'm going to go with the Terrapins in this one because I like the talent they have at the wide receiver position. Um, their offensive line has been – I guess we don't know much about their offensive line, but Talia Tungavailoa right now, he might be the best quarterback in the Big Ten. And it's weird thinking about that. I don't think it was too far of a stretch to think that he would have been maybe in the top three or four going into the season. But with the way Michael Penix has looked, I didn't watch Wisconsin, but I am i don't think I heard much about Graham Mertz. He was uh, fine. And, and C.J. Stroud, he's been he's done good, but he's not Justin Fields good. And so – the Big Ten, you ha- you really have a an open battle for who the best the best quarterback in the Big Ten is so far. This is the first time too, because I don't remember. Well, I mean, I guess you could probably go back to J.T. Barrett, Trace McSorley, some of those guys. Mm-hmm. Um, but 2018, it was clearly Dwayne Haskins. 2019, clearly Justin Fields. 2020, clearly Justin Fields. This year, it's like I, I might when I do my quarterback rankings, there might be quite a bit of rotation. Yep. Yeah, so it'll be interesting to see. So, going and moving on to our next game, Nebraska at number three, Oklahoma, the rematch, the old rivalry from the Big Twelve. I don't think it's happened since they've been out of the of the conference, since Nebraska's been out of the conference. But it's not the sexy matchup that Nebraska wants it to be. And I'm sure Oklahoma fans probably wish Nebraska was a little better. But at the same time, I think they look forward to a possible beatdown. I don't think Nebraska will lay down in this game. But at the same time, I really don't think they have a chance either. I just agree because I watched Oklahoma play Tulane. Um 
there's a situation now. I don't think Nebraska. I don't think Nebraska is going to win. Uh, so I'll get that pick out there. I'll pick Oklahoma to win the game. But the scenario I see is we've seen Nebraska fumble the ball, have some special teams gaffes, not run the ball effectively against Illinois. They've looked better the last two weeks. There's a scenario where if Nebraska does everything right and doesn't have those stupid plays and those bad penalties and those unforced turnovers. I think that there's a scenario where this is a four-quarter game. Now, I think Oklahoma mm-hmm. has the talent to pull away late, but I, I do think Nebraska can give Oklahoma some fits. Do you think that if Nebraska is able to pull this off, that no, and I don't want to say no matter what, because that's such a, I guess, defining phrase, mm-hmm. but do you think that this saves Scott's, Scott Frost's job if he's able to pull this off? I, I mean – I as long as they're able to get to bowl eligibility, I mean, I still think that's, that's what it comes down to. That's kind of what I was saying because obviously USC isn't afraid to pull the trigger mid midseason. And I think right. with the way that the expectations go in Lincoln, I don't necessarily think that it's not. I can't even think of the new uh, AD's name. What's his name? Trev Alberts. Yeah, Trev Alberts, not Bill Moose or whatever his name was. Right. Uh, well. I don't think Trev Alberts, depending on how the season unfolds, I don't think he'd be afraid to pull the trigger either. Well, probably not. And it, like I said, it, it depends on how that game goes, but or how the season goes, not one game. But to me, this is – I think Nebraska needs to look competitive because if Oklahoma leaves that game with a 62-10 to 10 win or some, something like that, something ridiculous – we, Who knows? We may not get to October before there's a coaching change, and I I don't know that that's going to happen. But if if that's your if that is your year four product against the top ten team, you have to look competitive. So that's why I say I could see a scenario where Nebraska makes this a really good game, and then you feel a lot better about Nebraska the last uh, nine games or eight games of the season. There's also a scenario where if everything goes wrong and they get beat fifty two to ten we're having a real different conversation when you and I meet next Monday. <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying. Um, next one, another matchup that I really didn't think would be intriguing going into the season, but all of a sudden uh, has some, some potential to be kind of a, a point turner for the big 10 team in this one, Michigan state at number 24, Miami especially with the way Miami has looked early on, obviously getting blown out by Alabama. That's nothing new for a lot of teams, but you don't look good against Appalachian state at home. And before we go any further, I think we have to bring up the CAD video just to, just to mention it. (laughs) That was incredible. I don't know. I have so many questions. How did the cat get in? Absolutely. What was he doing? Did he like walk and watch one half of Miami football and was like, "This is enough. I'm I'm jumping." <laughs> uh, like, what went through that cat's mind to the point where he was hanging by one paw? And then there was some guy trying to be a hero, reaching his hand out over the railing, and he looked like Ace Ventura when nature calls. When at the very <laughs> beginning, when he's trying to save the raccoon that's falling, like that's what the image reminded me of. And then the cat falls and they catch it in a flag. Like, that was one of the most bizarre things I've ever seen. One thing that makes me wonder about how he got into the stadium, I'm curious if 
if somebody maybe saw him on the side of the road, some drunk Miami student or fan, doesn't have to be a student, brings him into the stadium, just says, hey, I've got a new pet cat. And then somewhere along the way, that pet that, that cat gets away, and you have what we see on Twitter this past weekend. But how do you smuggle a cat into a stadium? You know, it's Miami. Okay, see, that's where we should have just ended it. Like, how did this happen? It's Miami. That's how it should have started and ended. So anyway, we haven't really been previewing Michigan State's ability in this game, but you seem to be very high on Kenneth Walker III. And I don't think there's any reason not to be. The only thing potentially is the competition they faced. Obviously, Northwestern, we don't really know how good or bad they are. And I think it's going to be very telling for them how they do against what looks to be a very poor Duke team this coming week. Uh, if Northwestern is potentially the worst team in the Big Ten, we don't know that yet. But that could shoulder a lot of why Michigan State looks as good as they do because their other opponent, FCS Youngstown State. So I do think there's a lot of legit hype around Michigan State and re- like genuine improvement over last year. But it, it, it's really hard to tell. And this is one of those games, like I said at the beginning of this, could be the turning point one way or another for them this season. Well, to me, I love Kenneth Walker. I love his game. But to me, the thing that sticks out about Michigan State is they were dominant on the ground against Northwestern, and then they were dominant through the air against Youngstown State. Like, they scored on the first play of both games. Jaden Reed had two 75-yard touchdown, pass, or touchdown receptions in that game. They Peyton Thorne looks good. They have got playmakers. Like this is the first time since 2015, maybe maybe longer, that we can call and label Michigan State's offense as explosive. And that's what they've looked like in the first two games. So to me, if it was just Kenneth Walker running for that much yardage, you'd probably be a little bit hesitant because look at what teams who are, who are one dimensional, they typically run into some problems along the way. I think Michigan State's offense is two-dimensional. I think they can do it through the air and through the ground. I think Michigan State wins. And I have them winning, too. I'm a little hesitant, but at the same time, I feel like Miami is going through the same sort of similar withdrawals as Indiana because they have De'Aaron King coming off an injury just like Michael Penix did, and I'm sure he's having a tough time. I don't watch Miami. I obviously want to make that clear. I didn't watch any of that game. But there's clearly some issues there that, that weren't necessarily present last year on Miami's side. And Michigan State's trim, trending upward. I'm taking the Spartans as well. Next up, Northern Illinois at number 25, Michigan. The Wolverines get back into the top 25. I'm sure the Wolverine faithful, or they have a little bit of reason to be excited now. They're back, they're, that monkey, I don't want to say it's off their back because the monkey is Ohio State. Yeah. That's what's really going to keep them uh, or get them to the next level. But I think there is genuine excitement in Ann Arbor right now. And obviously they're playing Northern Illinois. No one to really write home about right now. I think the Wolverines will comfortably win another one. Easy win for Michigan. I want to see if they can pass the ball. They, they what, Cade McNamara had 44 yards through the air. They didn't need to pass, but I want to see them open that up a little bit, see what they got. Uh, and then not to preview too much, I'm trying not to take the bait. Talk me out of taking the bait here, John, because when I look at Michigan, they just rushed for, what, 350 yards against Washington? What's the one thing Ohio State can't stop? 
the rush. Man, See, I don't even know about that. I've Isn't taken that the freaking bait too many times. I don't want to bite down on it. So I'm not saying that Michigan has a great shot to beat Ohio State. It's way too early in the season to make that prediction. I'm saying Michigan's strength strength right now is also Ohio State's greatest weakness. So we got a long time between now and November 26th or 27th, whatever that date is. But maybe. One thing that I think, and this is just from an outsider's perspective, and I think a lot of coaches tend to do this, and I think Tom Allen did it with Michael Penix. I think – they don't, or I don't think they need to be uh, saving JJ McCarthy. And obviously, I'm not a quarterback expert, and they went with Kay McNamara and all that stuff. But Tom Allen was satisfied with Peyton Ramsey because of what he already knew about Peyton Ramsey. Michael Penix ended up being the much better guy. And obviously, I'm very thankful for what Peyton Ramsey was able to do for Indiana, and he was a very good game managing quarterback. Mm-hmm. But the brief looks that we've seen of J.J. McCarthy, he was the top quarterback in his class, I believe. Do you think Michigan could get to that next level by making him the starter? I don't, like I said, I don't think that's going to happen right now unless they give them a legitimate reason to bench Cade McNamara. But do you think that J.J. McCarthy could really boost them to the next level? Well, again, this is where I take the bait a little bit because I, I would have said that was Shea Patterson – in 2018 and 2019. Like the problem with Harbaugh's teams at that point had been they hadn't had great quarterback play. And here comes in Shea Patterson, who was throwing the ball all over the field when he was at Ole Miss. He was a former five star prospect. He seemed to be the missing piece. And he was good at Michigan, but he was not great. I mean, so I think JJ McCarthy is incredibly talented. Is he the one that gets them to the Big Ten title or the Big Ten? Uh, or or to the college football playoff, I'm a little reluctant to say that now because as much credit as Harbaugh gets for developing Andrew Luck, he hasn't done it at Michigan, and that I can't overlook that right now. Yep, so it'll it'll be interesting to see, excuse me, uh, what ends up becoming of that situation or if Michigan continues to look good. I don't know when their next prove-it game is, but Michigan seems to be the, the most interesting, other than Michigan State, obviously. The state, the state of Michigan is just, they're improving. I think you, you said you saw on Twitter that last year they combined for four wins, and they've already reached that total this year. Over You read my overreactions, my 10 overreactions. The overreactions, that's what it yeah. was. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I do tend to... Uh, support Saturday tradition now that I've been exposed to it enough on uh, on uh, Indiana sports being. I definitely think that Saturday tradition should be your go-to source for for Big Ten information. Anyway, moving on, man, we're 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 really uh, dragging through these predictions. I guess there's just a lot to talk about now that there's actually games going on. Right. But we got a few, and that the other thing too, we don't have a lot of cupcakes. We have a lot of interesting matchups this week, including this next one: Minnesota at Colorado. And for me, I can't remember who who picked the last one first. I think maybe I'll let you go first. And I've, I've already made my decision, but I do want to try to alternate. But this is a game that I'm going to give away my pick by talking about this. I would have gone the other direction had Mohamed Ibrahim been in the equation. And plus, when you look at what Colorado has done, I don't know how good Texas A&M actually is, but they lost 10-7. to 7. Obviously, that's an odd score, and this game is in Boulder. 
I think a lot of things are going in their in their favor right now, and a lot of things aren't really going in Minnesota's favor. They lost to Ohio State, had a very close win against Miami of Ohio. Uh, with the, I guess I'll just go ahead and say I'm picking Colorado in this one. Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't gamble on this game at all because I have no idea how it's going to turn out. Um, I I'm going to go with Colorado on that one too. For some of the reasons you just mentioned, uh, I think that's all going to be a difference in the game. But we're, we're, we'll find out quite a bit about Minnesota. I think. I think that's you know they played one of the best teams in the Big Ten and got beat. They played a, a MAC team and, and narrowly escaped. I think we're going to find out a lot about Minnesota this weekend. Next up, the game that we kind of already previewed earlier: Purdue at number twelve, Notre Dame. And I don't. I really don't think there's much more that needs to be said than what we've already talked about. Um, I made my decision before Xander Horvath was announced um, that he was going to be out. I don't think it's going to affect my decision, though. So, Dustin, who are you going with in this one? Um, well, the line is Notre Dame, or it was, minus seven and a half. I think Purdue covers that, but I think Notre Dame wins. All right. I went the opposite direction on this one. With Purdue, all right. With the hey. Purdue Boilermakers. Um, I just think Notre Dame, and, and people say this every year, Notre Dame looks overrated right now, and that's just the way that it is. And I don't think people will really jump off of that bandwagon until they until they take care of business the way they're supposed to. And Notre Dame never really takes care of business. I don't know if that's just the way that they are because they, they're an FBS independent and they don't have the same clear-cut opponents every year i know they have contracts with opponents and they do play some of the guys back and forth for two or three years but maybe it's just different for notre dame the fact that they have to learn different opponents every single season and maybe that's why it's more difficult for them to to get uh, come out on top more convincingly sometimes yeah that's definitely a factor i mean they don't have well some of those teams are pretty they're pretty familiar with but when you have to switch it up it makes a difference i think so moving on, let's go Kent, Kent State at number five, Iowa. This is the highest Iowa has been ranked since their uh, near college p- football playoff berth uh, after they uh, lost to, I think it was Michigan State in the Big Ten Championship mm-hmm. that year, who ended up getting shut out by Alabama in the football playoff that year. The only time that we really didn't see Ohio State carrying the torch uh, for the Big Ten in the college football playoff. And, and right now, Iowa has that torch, and it's theirs to, to do what they will with it. I think Iowa should win pretty handily against Kent State. Yeah, I don't have anything to, to say other than I want to see Spencer Petrus be a little bit more consistent in that game. He should be able to pick apart a Kent State defense. So let's see a little bit more out of the Iowa offense, but they should be able to win by four or five touchdowns, I think. Next, we have Tulsa at number nine, Ohio State. And the one thing that's intriguing about this is that this is the first time Ohio State's played a cupcake three weeks into the season and that they haven't really had their tune-up game yet. And so it'll be interesting to see if Ohio State's defense still looks suspect against inferior competition. Uh, Regardless, I think Ohio State should come out on top, but it will be interesting to see what kind of win it is for them. I don't think it's going to be interesting. I wouldn't. I pray for the souls of Tulsa football because Notre, or Ohio State's going to come out pissed off about last week's result and not being not playing well really the last two weeks. I think that this is not going to be in any way, shape, or form a close game. I think Ohio State rolls easily. All right. Well, there you go. 
excuse me, I feel like I've got the belches coming on. I've had them during this, uh, <laughs> this podcast. Drinking too much Coca-Cola orange or whatever, orange vanilla. Interesting. I'm about to get on a small little tangent again. I just finished up a diet, and part of that diet was not having uh, soft drinks. And so I have had uh, a, a Coca-Cola today. So, or not specifically <laughs> yeah. a Coca-Cola. So there you go. You got that one. And I've had plenty of coffee. And I'm just and lemonade. I've been drinking all sorts of stuff today. All not out the sugar. Not yeah. well. That did no. The jitters earlier. That's why I had to take that uh, L-theanine to help me calm down a little bit because I was hopped up on all sorts of sugar that I didn't need to be fooling with today. But, I'm hop on Mountain Dew, Chip. That's right. We could love some Talladega Nights. Next up, another should be easy one. Delaware at Rutgers. Greg Schiano seems to have the Scarlet Knights rolling. I'm going with Rutgers. Yeah, yeah. I, I think the Scarlet Knights go to 3-0. Three wins away from bowl eligibility, baby. How long? Rutgers wasn't 3-0 last year, right? How long has it been since Rutgers has been 3-0? Oh, you would ask. I know it was 2014, the last time they were 2-0. I'd have to go back and look. I don't think they started. I guess it could be from the Big East days. Yeah, well, it definitely not okay specifically. Yeah, yeah, it, it's it's uh, it's been a while. I just don't know how long of a while it's been. Got a few more. Northwestern at Duke. Mentioned it briefly earlier. This is, I think, Northwestern has a game like this every year. the The game where we find out whether or not Northwestern is the worst team in the Big Ten or not. And. I, Obviously, that that could have happened if they lost to Indiana State. They didn't win that game convincingly. But they're also playing a Duke team that lost to Charlotte on the road. And I think that was Charlotte's first win over a Power 5 school. And they stormed the field and had a grand old time with that. And uh, Northwestern has had this series going on with Duke for a while. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Uh, It's tough to pick this one. Just talking is almost making me change my mind. Yeah, but I'm going with uh, Northwestern on this one. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Northwestern because I think they're less bad than Duke. <laughs> less bad. I need to catch up on typing these down. I haven't written them in a while. Iowa, Ohio State. Man, it seems like we have the only difference we have right now is uh, Notre Dame, which is one of them that I really didn't think I didn't think that was going to be different. But <laughs> I'm glad it is because I've got to make up ground somehow. Well, you know, no you've got – I mean, you have a good shot. I, I do like produce chances in that game. I'm just not bold enough to pre- predict yeah. a win for them yet. <laughs> All right, and we got two more big matchups to finish this off. Obviously, I've saved Cincinnati, Indiana for the end because of the, the stakes for that game. Uh, normally, I go through these in order and put the big game at the end. And this this next one could have fit that bill just as easily considering college game day is heading there. Number 22, Auburn at number 10, Penn State wide out um but at the same time i don't really know i mean i know auburn i think they won like 62 to nothing against an fcs opponent this past week but i i I don't know that i'm back on auburn being a good sec team yet and i think that brian harson could end up building that program up to being something good again Uh, i always like gus malzahn though and i think he'll do good at ucf this has nothing to do with the matchup i know i'm just kind of talking uh, but I think Penn State wins this game. I agree. I think Penn State wins. Uh, I think the whiteout atmosphere is going to be too much. It's going to be too intimidating for Auburn. Um, I know they have a lot of SEC stadiums that, that bring the heat, but uh, you know 
A whiteout's a totally different animal. I think Penn State's really good defensively. They'll have their hands full with Tank Bigsby, the running back from Auburn. I like I like Penn State on both sides of the ball. I think that they – Penn State is up there with Iowa uh, in terms of the best teams in the Big Ten. So not only do I think Penn State wins, I think they win by two touchdowns at least. I think this is I, – I don't know that this is going to be a, a, a particularly close game, to be honest with you. And even though we have the alliance stuff going on now, and this game wasn't scheduled before oh, that God. started occurring, I, I, I'm not trying to talk about the alliance. What I'm, what I'm trying to say here is I'm glad to see an SEC team play a Big Ten team on the road. Yeah, and that's I know true. LSU traveled out to UCLA, and they did the same thing with the Pac-12. But I feel like you never see this. And got their like, ass this kicked, the too. <laughs> this that's is why the you first don't see it. And the uh, Alabama always does these Chick Fil A kickoff games or whatever. They get to play at a neutral site, I believe. That's not anything. They always get to play at Atlanta or um, I don't know where they play Miami, Dallas, Dallas maybe. Well, but I, I, Alabama venturing outside of their comfort zone. They will soon because they have future matchups with Ohio State and Wisconsin. So are they are they home and homes. Yes. All right, interesting. I did not know that, but that that is cool. That, that, this is a this is within the last two three year development, so it's somewhat recent. They realize that people, and I think the SEC slowly been realizing this that their scheduling, their non conference scheduling, is a little ridiculous. And I know they're it, it, they're lucky to be able to do that because all the national media has given them this them this reputation that they play the best competition in their conference every single week and that they don't have to schedule anything tough outside of that. Well, that's the real reason though (laughs) is because money talks and they realize that a game between Alabama and Ohio State. I don't think Nick Saban or really any of the coaches really want to have to go to Columbus or Madison. Uh, well, I mean, I don't know. Nick Saban probably doesn't care, to be honest with you. Yeah, who cares? He's won seven championships. Well, I, but, but he's – I would say, okay, Jeff Brom probably does not want to go down to Tuscaloosa. Let us let me say that. Because Purdue's not, Purdue's not a team built to compete with an Alabama, at least right now, right? That's one example. Nick Saban doesn't probably care where he's going. He doesn't want to go play UConn up in Stores, Connecticut. Yeah. But if he's playing a big time <laughs> opponent, he I, I legitimately don't think he cares. Um, I wish they would do like they do in college basketball, where they have like a challenge where one week every team from the Big Ten is playing every team from the SEC or the ACC, Pac-12, whatever it may be. That would be really cool to see. That would be fun. I agree with you. I wish they would do that, but I don't see that happening, unfortunately. So who knows? Maybe sometime down the road, the more, like you say, money talks. I don't think it's completely out of the question, but let's go and get into our last pick. Number eight, Cincinnati at Indiana. Another season-defining game. And not that I'm saying it would ruin or completely make their season with this win, but it's, I guess, maybe a better phrase would be another turning point. On, on how good Indiana can actually be this year. So, Dustin, I'm going to hand it off to you first before I, I make my pick this time. Yeah, that's good because I'm going to make – you might be able to save the crowd because they're going to hate me. Um, <laughs> I kind of thought this was coming. I don't – I just am not sold right now in Indiana's run game. I think that makes a huge difference. 
I haven't seen the kind of explosiveness in the passing game that I thought we were going to be able to see. I, I think Cincinnati's really well coached. I think they're good on both sides of the ball. I don't think it's a, I don't think we saw what we saw in Iowa City. I don't think it's as lopsided. I don't think we see something like 34 to 6. I do think Cincinnati really bolsters or bolsters its uh, college football playoff resume with a win over Indiana uh, this weekend. So I think the Hoosiers drop this one. And even in front of a sold out crowd, I think they fall to one and two. I think the Bearcats get it done. Well, I'm going to take. It's okay. It's okay because I'm here to save. I'm here to save the, the negativity and bring it back into a positive light before we wrap things up here. But I think that we're going to see a different side of Indiana's offense that I don't want to say has necessarily been saved for this game, but it hasn't been utilized correctly. And I think specifically in the run game, and not even just Stephen Carr, I think I don't think the Cincinnati defense is going to be ready for Michael Penix to play at full strength. And obviously I agree with you. Michael Penix hasn't proven that he can do what he's he lived up to do last year. But I think Michael Penix even if the offensive line has some issues, is going to be able to utilize his full mobility this game. And I think that could be the difference. If they're able to put Cincinnati on their toes early in front of a sold-out crowd and they're going to have to start making decisions on is Michael Penks going to throw the ball, is he going to run the ball, I think that could be very problematic for Cincinnati, especially since they had such a slow start against an FCS Murray State team this past week. And Desmond Ritter specifically, he had a slow start as well. And I know Michael Penix hasn't had the best start to his season, but I really think the tides are going to turn. And you can call me a homer. I don't care. Thankfully, this this goes out to Indiana fans, so hopefully they uh, don't see it as being a homer. You can call me a homer as I wear my Indiana shirt. Hey, you had – I know you're not an Iowa fan, but you had an Iowa shirt on the week after – That was Indiana my apology. That was my apology to Phil Parker and his wizardry for having that defense so ready to go. See, now I'm just neutral. I'm just neutral right here. Big 10. And this and that's is the first bad. time I've worn an Indiana shirt on this podcast. That's I true. That. That's true. It's just funny that you say you can call me a homer while you're wearing an Indiana shirt. Well, <laughs> and when I say call me a homer, I feel like I do a pretty good job and we'll learn, I guess, more of how accurate the statement is during the season. <laughs> I feel like I do a good job at understanding how good Indiana actually is without letting my emotions play into it. Yeah, I'll that's play Indiana to lose if I think Indiana is going to lose. And I don't think Cincinnati is overrated, but I definitely think Indiana will start to live up to their expectations this week. I'm taking the Hoosiers. And I don't I haven't thought of a score prediction yet. Because last week I remember I had a 49 to 3 prediction for Idaho, which was a lot closer than any other pick on the Indiana rival site. So I will take pride in that. Uh, a lot of people thought Indiana was just going to look and eh, put up 30, 28 points. Yeah. Um, so before I uh, keep rambling, we're already an hour and 11 minutes into this podcast. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and say I'm taking the Hoosiers to beat Cincinnati. I'll have a score prediction later whenever our rivals team picks uh, our scores later this week. But I'm taking Indiana to upset and get back into the uh, – I'm not going to say the playoff conversation, but the Big Ten conversation. That's very bold of you. I I I just <laughs> very bold. I just, I just don't. Well, maybe that's not the right way to phrase it. But I just I because you're taking one result and saying that that it's over. You're like I'm by saying two that, 
You're taking two results. You run for 3.6 yards per carry against Idaho. That concerns me. That concerns I, me. I don't know if I told you why it doesn't concern me. Tom Allen plays conservative in those types of games. And I don't it think does, it doesn't, play. but that doesn't, but okay. I mean, maybe we can save that, but that doesn't matter. That doesn't, that's not somebody tackling you three yards at the field. You should be able to plow through some of those guys. If you're if you're that good of a running back, if you're that good of an offensive line, you should be averaging. I didn't say they were a good offensive line, line. But, that, but but his play calling has nothing to do with it. That's performance. If Indiana passed for 88 yards, let's say, and rushed for 250, then you can say Tom Allen's a conservative play caller. That's why they only had 88 passing yards. Rushing for 3.6 yards per carry has nothing to do with being conservative. In my opinion. Well, on that note, you're right. You're definitely right about that. <laughs> I was going to pull the trigger on the outro music anyway. But uh, thanks again for listening. We'll be back next week. Uh, it, things may get more heated depending on the you result might. of this game. I don't know. Uh, but I, I do fully understand that Indiana could come out of this week one too. Anyway, hopefully they don't. Thanks for listening to this week in Indiana football. We are going to have Mitchell Page join. I don't know if it's going to be me or Dustin or just me, but we're recording that here in a little bit, and we'll either post that with the podcast or sometime tomorrow. Uh, So we have that, thankfully, coming up later on. Uh, Until next time, please listen to Indiana Sports Feet Monday through Friday, and we will see you next time on This Week in Indiana Football.